most of you know Michelle and I, and, and we have three kids, and it's three kids from three different schools, high school, middle school, and grade school. And I just kind of wanted to give you a little bit of insight into a typical day in our lives, um, because we're crazy, basically. Um, but most days, you know, I'll start out, I get up a little bit before six o'clock, Spencer's already up and in the shower at that point, and, you know, I, I'll get some breakfast ready for him, I get dressed, he gets dressed, gets his stuff together, and he's out the door at 6.30, and I take him to school for an early band practice. Then I'm back home, where Michelle and Emily are, are up at that point, and Emily's getting ready, and, you know, kind of help her gather her things, and out the door and take her to the middle school. Then I go off to work for a little while, and usually about 10.15, I go home, and I get Elijah. At this point, Michelle has had him up and ready for school. And uh, she's waiting on a couple of toddlers uh, that she watches two or three times a week. And so I go home to get him so she can be there for them. And I take him to school. And it's the same roads every time, the same turns, the same side streets. And, and Elijah, even at 10 and with still some comprehension issues a little bit, he knows exactly where we're going every time. So if I take a wrong turn anywhere, he immediately is like, where are we going? I, I thought we were going to school. What's going on? So already with him at 10 and, and still trying to learn things and being with us, by the way, four years today, four years ago was the date that the papers were officially signed and he was ours. So... But he recognizes, you know, wha what our routine is. He's figured out the routine on that. And so I go ahead, I take him to school, get him inside, and then I go back home, fix a little bit of lunch, um, talk to Michelle, play with the toddlers a little bit, and then I go back to work. And then it's Michelle's turn. So a little bit before 2 o'clock, she loads the toddlers in the van, she goes and gets Elijah at 2, and then... The other two, it could be 3, 3.30, 4, 4.30, depending on what the event of the day is, whether it's a sport or an activity or a club after school or just all kinds of crazy things. Then I come back home at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and, and we usually have supper together, and that is one thing that we try to do, and, and there are reasons that it doesn't always happen, but we try to sit down and have a meal together. And then there's usually another event, whether it's a ministry meeting for Michelle or I or worship teams or another sport activity or program at school. Then back home, finish up some homework, maybe watch a little TV, and then we go to bed. Now, I don't tell you any of this to appeal to your you know, sense of sympathy for how crazy <laughs> we can be sometimes. But I, I just want to give you an idea of that's pretty common. I mean, that's an everyday thing, and it, and it becomes a routine, and we work in that routine. A and sometimes it gets to be a little too much of a routine. I remember once after I took Spencer to school uh, in the morning for, for morning band practice, and then I was coming back home, and I come up 38, and I pulled into the gates at work and parked in my normal parking space, and I sat there for a second, and I thought, I'm missing something here. I still need to go get Emily and go get her to school. And so just because I'm used to coming up 38 and it's either go home or go to work, and, and what I did at that point, I kind of, my, my mind, the, the routine was controlling where I was, and I just pulled into the gate without even thinking. You know, I lost focus for a little bit. And that's what happened. When we lose focus in the routine, we sometimes end up someplace that we're not supposed to be. You know, I, let me say that. When we lose focus within the routine, we end up somewhere other than where we intended. And that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight. Um, I just feel like God is really showing me three areas where I particularly can kind of get too caught up in the routine. I get a little complacent with things. I just kind of find myself going through the motions, and it's easy to lose focus. And if I lose focus on what God is intending then I can end up somewhere other than where he wants me, and I'm not on the right path. So th the three areas of that that I want to talk about tonight, um, first of all, it's in our relationships. Second, it's in what I'm kind of calling our doctrine, and it's, it's basically what we go through. It's, I'll relate it to just a Sunday morning, your typical Sunday morning. And, and third is in our prayer time. 
So first of all, in our relationships, you know, sometimes the daily routine catches us up so much that we don't get to spend that quality time with our families. You know, we uh, find out that life just kind of becomes a series of check marks. Okay, went to work, check, had the kids to school, check, had supper, check, did this ministry, that ministry, did whatever we do, check, 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 and life becomes just a series of check marks on our laundry list of things to do. You know, we become a family that coexists together instead of a family that shares our lives together. You know, when, when we do that, a lot of times we are letting our schedules control us instead of us controlling our schedules. You know, having a schedule is not a bad thing. Having a routine is not a bad thing. But when we let it control us instead of us controlling what we're doing, that's when we lose that, that ability to focus, and that's when we can get off that path that God already has laid out for us. Um, and also within those same relationships, and this, there's, there's a few of you here, young people, <laughs> that I'm talking to, to you more right now for a second, although we, we all are somebody's child, so it can relate to all of us. But uh, how many of you kids especially, you, you get so caught up in the routine of how you act and react to your parents that you start kind of buying into that that's the okay way to act. Other kids do it. I, you know, everybody else is acting like this. We talk about it at school. And, and our negative reactions toward our parents, sometimes we convince ourselves we, we do it so much, it, it becomes such habit for us that we convince ourselves that that's okay way to act. That's, I deserve that, and I want what I want. Um, but I want to I share with you Ephesians 6, if we can put that first one. Everybody's, everybody's seen this before. Chat, verse 1 is, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We've all heard that. Children, obey your parents. But verse 2 then goes on to say, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So this is not just a power trip for mom and dad. We're not just saying, look, obey me because I said to obey me and this is what I want you to do. This is a commandment, and it's a commandment with a promise. What is the promise? Let's go on to verse 3. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. It's not for us as parents. It's for you. Honor your father and mother. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, we still need to be a positive influence for you to be able to relate to. Okay, statistics show that kids that don't have a positive influence in their life are much more susceptible to things such as poverty, incarceration, and even death. So we are doing this for you, and we are doing it for you. We, we need you to honor us and listen so that we can help you to fulfill that commandment and receive the promise of long life because it's good for you, okay? And then also with the parents, you know, we've got a responsibility in that as well. And, uh, you know, we, we need to be that, that influence, but it needs to be a positive influence. And, and especially for us dads, the world tells us that we, we are the head of the household. Scripture tells us that we are the head of the household. Um, but all too often, the, the routine that we fall into and what the world shows us is that being the head of a household is being a dictator. And it is being that ruler that makes and enforces the rules and then also carries out the sentence when the rules are broken. You know, too often we worry about being in charge instead of being there. And uh, we, we fall into that habit, we fall into the routine, we fall into the motions that the loudest voice in the house is the one that's heard and obeyed. And, and this is an area that uh, kind of hits me a lot of times because I, I fall into that trap too often. Um, I know this morning, we, we all missed it because they were playing in London, but I, I'm a Colts fan. And I've been a Colts fan since 1984 when they came in Indianapolis, and they had some tough years. But in 2006, they ended up winning the Super Bowl. 
And everybody that follows the Colts at all probably remembers when they won the Super Bowl, it was under the leadership of Tony Dungy. Now, Tony Dungy was a guy who he was not your stereotypical head coach. You know, the coach that's walking and ranting and raving and yelling and throwing hands up in the air and everything and going ballistic. You know, Jim Harbaugh, who is now up in Michigan, I love his intensity, but the guy's going to have a heart attack because it is just always crazy. But that's not how Dungy was. Dungy is calm. He was in control, and, and he was in charge, and everybody knew he was in charge, but not because he demanded the respect, but because he earned respect by showing respect. Okay, so for, for us as parents, next, next verse is Ephesians 6, and it's the very the very next verse from what I was showing up with the children obey is fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's training and instruction. That, that sounds a lot like the Dungy way, which is not the stereotypical coach. And this is one that I, I have to admit, if you, if you look kind of closely, you can probably see a little bit of a bump right here because that's where God's two by four, where he kind of takes it and whops me upside the head on this issue right here to get my attention because sometimes I get a little stubborn and, and can't hear it. So, you know, th this is one that I know that he's revealing to me that I need work with and not exasperate your children. If, if we as parents know that their obedience is for their own good, then we need to feed into that, not feed into our own pride of being right or being loud or being the one that they have to obey. So then also, it's not just in our family relationships that we, that we sometimes just become routine with things. It's in our friends. Um, next verse, Chad, Proverbs 18, 24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Too many times, and kids, adults, it's all of us, too many times we seek out popularity. You know, we, we seek those friendship relationships and, and sometimes it becomes more about quantity than it is about quality. You can probably all, those of you that are in school could name them. The rest of us, we can probably remember back the groups that we had in school. You know, you, you've got the intellectuals, you got the, the athletes, the jocks, you've got the, the band members. We were band geeks back when I was in school. And there's the popular group. They, they have their own clique. They have their own group. And most, most of us, at one time or another, wanted to be a part of the popular group because we thought that that's what it was supposed to be. We, we buy into that lie that popularity, if we don't have that popularity, then we aren't worth anything. You know, and, and it's that routine that all kids go through, all teenagers, and we buy into it, that, oh, popularity is what I'm supposed to do. That, that's the routine. That's what I'm supposed to go to. Those are the motions that I'm supposed to accomplish is being popular. But what happens is that uh, we get to the point to where we put our identity in our friends. And uh, Philippians 4.19 tells us where we can find our identity. It says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You end up needing so many different friends because this friend can meet this need, this friend can meet this other need, this friend can meet a need, this friend, but nobody, you're bouncing from person to person and you can't recreate a quality relationship unless we understand that we find our identity in our God. Jesus Christ will meet all of our needs and, and he will give us our identity. We don't need to find our identity in friends. Having friends is great, but we need to choose wisely, and we need to be careful to guard our hearts for what is meant for Christ and not try to find that in people because, unfortunately, people will let us down too many times, but Christ never will. You know, I, th I think a lot of times we do that because we, we want joy in our life. We, we want to be happy, and we think, being part of the popular group is going to make us happy. But scripture tells us to delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if you want your heart fulfilled with desire 
then give it to God. Give your heart to God. And, okay, the next part is the routine in, like I said, doc- doctrine before, but I, it's, it's our Sunday morning. It's how many of you find, especially getting ready before church, really becomes routine? Okay, I mean, we, we get up and it's, you know, get the kids, get this person, you know, get, the, get everybody moving, trying to everybody to get into the bathroom at once, and we're getting breakfast ready, and we're all rushing out the door, and it's like, hurry up, we got to get there, we're going to be late, because we know that New Covenant starts at 10 o'clock exactly every <laughs> Sunday morning, so we got to hurry up and go, we've got to get there, and then we get here, and we run in, and we see somebody, and it's like, oh, I need to go talk to this person, because I've got to find out if they're having a jewelry party or a cooking party or whatever, and then we go find somebody else and see, hey, can you help me move some stuff later next week? Um, and, and then we finally, we come into the sanctuary, we sit in the exact same seats every Sunday, we go to the same spot, we're in that routine, and then we come up here and there's music going on, and we, we walk up, and while we're coming up to the music, we're like, okay, God, I just, just help me to think about, and then we're like, ooh, I hope nobody heard that. You know, man, I wonder where we're gonna. I wonder where we're gonna go eat after after service today. You know, we, we usually go to Los, but they've been really busy lately, and I don't know if we can get in or not. And so maybe we ought to just go home. And home? Do we have stuff at home? Do, what what do we do? We need to get anything. Um, I wonder if the kids have stuff. If I'm gonna go to the store, do the kids need anything? Do they have Do they have toilet paper in the kids' bathroom at home, <laughs> which we can never know because there's never a roll on the toilet paper roll in the kids' bathroom. But we, so then we, we go through all that and we're thinking, okay, now what about, what, what, what about uh, the kids for school? Do they need anything for school? And, and we're thinking this the whole time while we're up here. And do, do the kids, oh man, did they get that project done? You know, the last time they didn't get the project completely done and that teacher, boy, she wasn't very lenient and, and she came down pretty hard on them. I think I ought to have a talk with her. Maybe I can make a schedule with her and, you know, I wonder if this week will be good. What do I have going on this week? Maybe I can think about what's going on this week. And, oh, hey, I love this song. <laughs> wow. Wow, look at Gage up there. Gage is really into it on the drums. I love watching Gage, you know, and he really gets into it, and he's playing the drums, and he's worshiping, and, man, this is, this is awesome. And then, oh, well, that was the last song, huh? Okay, I'll go back to the seat. We go back, and we sit down, and we're listening to the sermon, and, and we're listening to the message a little bit, and then we're looking up at the clock and wondering what time it is, and thinking about what game is on or whatever, and then the sermon's over, and we run out to the car because we want to beat the crowd to the restaurant now, <laughs> and then later in the week, we run into somebody, and they're like, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, you, are you guys going to church these days? And we're like, yeah, I go all the time, every Sunday, faithfully. It's routine, and that's what it becomes. It's, it's another check mark. Now, if you, if you go back to what I was talking about, you know, coming in and seeing some friends and everything and, and you know, a little bit of business talk or something wh- as we're fellowshipping, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But how often do we talk to someone and we ask them how they're doing and we stick around to listen and we really want to engage with what they're telling us? How often do we take the time in the morning on a Sunday morning before we come in and sit in the same seat that we always sit in, how often do we pray with someone right there that Sunday morning? Instead of, oh, wow, that's terrible what you're going through. Well, I'll pray for you. Well, pray right then. Break the routine. Break the monotony of just going through the motions all the time. And then we get to worship. Gage, no offense, I love you. And I do, I have noticed you playing. And I love watching you play. But since when is worship about Gage? You know, we, we put so much into what we're doing around us that we kind of forget what we're doing. Um, I, I come up here sometimes and I'll be praying about my problem for that day or some healing that I need or something like that. And we have a time for that, and that's great. But I need to be reminded that I need to humble myself before my Lord. And I need to spend time in worship and just just getting to know him and who he is and show the reverence that is deserved during that time of worship. Um, Webster's, Webster's defines the word worship as an expression of adoration. It, it's, 
it's how we can show ourselves to God of just how much he means to us. In the Greek, the word is proskunio, and proskunio is an act of bowing or prostrating oneself in submissiveness. You know, last week, last week we all, we took a knee and prayed. And I found myself at one point, I just got down on my face in full prostrate position. And it was probably the most quiet that my body has been in a worship time, just complete still. But it was very humbling and very fulfilling. I could just picture myself being right there at the feet of Jesus as I was laying down. I, I don't think we worship that way often enough. It, it's showing God who he is and letting us know that we recognize who he is. It, it's an outward posture of us to reflect an inner attitude. So if we struggle with the outward posture of worship, maybe it's because it's something on the inner attitude that we have going on that's blocking us from that time of worship. It's an opportunity for us to view how high God is and, and lower our own opinions of ourselves. You know, we lift him up and we, we keep ourselves at bay a little bit. Um, and you know, this, this is what our worship is like. You know, my question is, do we, do we worship like that? I know a lot of you do because my family has been incredibly blessed since we've come here. And, and, and you have really... Um, help to grow me particularly in my worship time um, be because th this church this church does it very well but we still lose focus sometimes and it's still a struggle sometimes and we can still get caught up in that routine and then also on a Sunday morning it, it happens when we have a special occasion and sometimes we make those special occasions not so special this morning we had communion Communion is a holy sacrament time of communing with God. But too many times we get up and we get in line and we talk to somebody that we're in line with and, hey, how's things going? Okay, and we come up and we take the elements and we go back and we sit down at our chair and it's like, okay, do I set the juice down or do I hold it? Because if I spill this, I'm going to be in big trouble. You know, and, and we're focused on nothing. We're not focused on what's going on at the time of communion. You know, there are a lot of commands that we have in the Bible that, that we need to follow and that we need to hear. There's only one time that I've been able to find that Jesus Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. Not do it because it's right, not do it because, you know, for this reason or that reason, but do it in remembrance of me personally and what he did. I think we lose that a lot of times. I think we fall into, into the routine of what we're doing, and, and it's, it becomes another check mark, and we forget why we're doing it. So I want you to do something with me here for a second. I want everybody to close their eyes, and I want you to imagine the cross. I want you to feel the the dusty wind blowing past you. Listen, and you can hear the crowd yelling. You hear the guards mocking Jesus. And there's complete silence. And then you hear a sledge come down on the cross and Christ screaming out in pain. Oh! Oh. And there's more silence, just eerie silence. And you can hear the creaking of the cross being raised up and drop, dropped into place. You hear some weeping scattering throughout the crowd. And it's mixed with taunts of ridicule and slander. And now just picture him, just, just look at Christ up on that cross. You can see him talking with the thief next to him. And he's struggling to speak and he's gasping for every breath. 
And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he looks at you. Just picture him up there and he's looking right at you. And those loving eyes are looking through you. And through tears and through the blood running down his face, he whispers, it is finished. It's a whisper you couldn't even hear, but those words are just on your heart forever. It's finished. The condemnation of your sin, even though that was your cross that he was up there on, the sin that you've been burdened with is forever finished, and he's taken it away. Okay, you can open your eyes. Is there anything routine about that? then why do we make it routine today? Because this story is the same today as it was more than 2,000 years ago. It's the same story. But there's more to that that we need to remember. Because at that point, even though he was an innocent man taking on a death that he didn't deserve, it, it was still a death. And there were many other deaths similar to it. Scripture tells us that James, the brother of John, was killed by the sword. James the lesser, James the, the, the other disciple, he was stoned to death. Philip, Andrew, Peter, they were all crucified, and, and accounts say that they were crucified upside down because they didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way that Christ was. But they all died for what they believed. They died for this, this cause of Christianity, of, of what we are, they were following. So at that point, their death was very similar to what Christ went through but there's more for us to remember than that. S.M. Lockridge is a pastor from 50s and 60s, and, and he shared a message at his church in Texas around 1960, and this is what he had to say about there being more than just the death. He said, it's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. And he went through the entire story of the crucifixion and all that Christ went to. And th this is how he finished it. He said, it's Friday. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered. And Satan's just a-laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday. And Sunday's a coming. You know, that Christ took on a death for us shows amazing love that he has for all of us. But it's what happened on Sunday, which is why we're here to worship, which is why we're here and we take that communion and we, and we honor him and we commune with him and love him. We, we can't let it be routine. We have to remember all of it, the pain and the glory. When I, when I think about the crucifixion, I, I, a lot of times it, it reminds me of the scripture of John 3.16. I, I just think about his death and, and what he did on that cross for us. And Chad, you can go ahead and put it up. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many of you mouthed that with me while I was saying it? We all know it, don't we? We all know it. And learning scripture is great. Chad, just leave that up there for a little bit. Um, well, learning it is great. But I think too often that scripture is another place where we become a little bit too routine. And instead of remembering the reasons behind what it is that we're saying, they become words. Just words that, hey, I, I memorized this when, when I was in you know, the nursery or, or in the preschool stuff and, and everything, just all the way back to when I was little. And now they're just words and they come off. Yeah, but you think about it. I mean, for God so loved the world, it all starts with God. And we're in the world. We are of the world. He loves every one of us. 
and he gave his one and only son. Uh, gave, that's, that's a funny word. Because when we think about giving, we think about a gift, um, we, sometimes we don't recognize that there's two parts on that side. So if I were to take this and say, hey, Clayton, here, take, you can have this pen. Take, Clayton, here, here's a pen. Clayton, I want to give you this pen. Here, take this pen, Clayton. See, it requires something on the other end. He has to receive it for the gift to mean anything. I can give it to him. I can want to give it all I want. But if he doesn't receive it, it means nothing to him. And we, ne- we need to remember that with this gift, that God gave us the gift of his son. And we need to receive what he did for us. And it is a gift. You know, Romans, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a gift. And then we also need to share it and give it to others. Because at the end, there's eternal life. The gift brings us eternal life. And that's what we focus on. It's, it, it feels good. It sounds good. But where we get caught up into just being words is we skip over a little part in the middle. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Guess what else that means? If you don't believe in him, you're going to perish. And it's not just a death on this earth. It, it is an eternal time in hell and if we believe what scripture says about hell it's not a place that we would wish upon our worst enemy so we need to receive that gift but we also need to share it with others because lives are at stake lives are at stake they need to know we can't let it be words we can't let the scripture be routine to us And finally, the last place that I really feel like God was, was talking to me about where I can fall into the routine and become complacent is in our prayer time. Um, how many of you remember this one? God is great, God is good, now we thank him for this food. When I was growing up, it was, come Lord Jesus, be thou our guest, and let this food to us be blessed. Now, I have no problem with helping kids get into a habit of learning prayer. And no problem with them going through some of this memorization to create that, that habit and, and to get into the time of, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray all the time. But even that, a lot of times it just becomes words. I can remember when I was little and my mom would tuck me in bed at night. And we would say the same nighttime prayer every day. Every night when she'd tuck me in and we'd say the same prayer they were just words I just they rattled off and it didn't mean anything to me and then finally one night I I, I was trying to recall I, I think maybe we were having a conversation about you know just God and what he really means in my life and it was starting things were starting to open up to me and so I for the first time actually heard what it was that I was praying so I'm sitting there and I say now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That's cool. Okay, I like that. If I should die before I wake, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you mean if I should die before I wake? I, I don't want to die. I'm like eight years old. I'm going to die before I wake up? What's, the, what's this woman teaching me? What's going on here? And I'd said it hundreds of times before and never really paid attention to it. I never really listened to the words I was saying. We do the same thing as adults. Don't think that it's just kids. How many times do we visit a church and they're standing up and saying the Lord's Prayer? And we're going through and we're just rattling it off and the only thing we're thinking about is whether or not we're going to say debts or trespasses because we don't want to sound stupid in front of everybody else. That's all we're thinking about. You know, the Lord's Prayer, this is a prayer that in Matthew 6, I believe, that Jesus was teaching his followers, this is how you pray. This is how you pray. And we turn it into just a bunch of words that becomes repetition because we're just going through the routine, got done with the Lord's Prayer, check mark. So I, I was kind of wondering, why, why do we let something so powerful as prayer become routine to us? And I think sometimes 
it might be because we don't hear the answer that we're wanting to hear. And so we, we don't want to not be obedient to the prayer, but we've kind of lost faith. We've kind of lost faith a little bit. And so we go through the motions, we say the words, but, but our heart's not really in it. You know, sometimes we just kind of say, okay, I'm going to focus on the prayer. Um, the answer, eh, I don't know if it's going to come or not. Hasn't happened for a while. But I think sometimes we need to ask ourselves, has it? Are, are we really watching for it in the way that God is, is showing us? Um, there's a story in Acts chapter 12 that really demonstrates this pretty well. Um, James had just been killed by King Herod Agrippa, and Peter was now in prison. Okay. Peter's in prison, and King Herod had placed around him 16 guards. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 12 says that there were four squads of four guards each. So 16 guards to guard a guy who's already in prison. So that seems like a little bit of overkill to me. I don't know. But then it, it tells us in, in the, the scripture that while Peter was in prison, that the church was praying earnestly for him. Verse 5, it says, while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So they're, they're seeking God, and they're, they're praying for Peter. Hey, Peter, we got to get Peter out of here. You know, this is terrible. You know, they're, they're going to put him on trial. That, that's the reason he was in prison, is King Herod was going to wait until the end of Passover. He knew that would be a dangerous time during Passover. But after Passover was over, they were going to bring him out for a public trial. But we got to believe that it probably wasn't going to be a public trial. It was going to be a public execution. They had just killed James, and this is going to be another one of the followers that they can get rid of and hopefully, you know, dispel all this other, all the other followers that are, that are going around. So the night before the trial, Peter is in chains with two guards right there that he's chained with. There are two guards at the gate outside, probably a couple of guards down the hallway, a couple of guards in the courtyard. There's guards everywhere. And it tells us that an angel came and hit Peter and said, Peter, wake up. Get your coat, get your sandals, let's go. And, you know, chains fall off. And what's funny is that uh, it tells us that verse 9 says that Peter thought it was a vision. So he's probably walking along with the angel going, wow, wouldn't this be cool if this was really happening? <laughs> this would be awesome. And then verse 10 says that, Peter came to his senses and realized that he was outside. He realized that it was true and that it had happened. So now I got to think that all of a sudden he's, you know, what we would probably want to do was walk around and go, woohoo, yeah, all right, I'm out. But he's an escaped prisoner at this point. So he's probably, you know, he's ducking around. He's like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And so he's thinking, oh, wait, I'll go to Mary's house. That's where everybody was going to get. Mary, the mother of John Mark. He's like, that's where everybody's at. I'll go to Mary's house. So he gets up there, and he's, you know, probably hiding in the bushes, and he's looking around. He comes up to the door, and he's like, hey, hey, it's me. It's Peter. And Scripture tells us that Rhoda, a servant girl, hears him outside and recognized his voice. So here they are. They're all praying for him inside. Rhoda was there with them, and she had walked by, and she heard Peter's voice outside, and he's out there saying, it's me. It's me, let me in. So what did she do? She went back inside. <laughs> and she goes in and she says, hey, everybody, Peter's out front. Now, these are the people that the verse told us they are praying earnestly for Peter. They were praying for his release. Rhoda tells them he's outside. And they say, you're crazy. That's not, that didn't happen. It's not Peter. And she insisted, no, I recognize him. It's Peter. And they're like, nah, it's probably an angel. That's my favorite one. It's probably an angel. Just go on. I'm like, even if it's an angel, I'm going to be like, go to the door. There's an angel. <laughs> you know, why do you stay inside? Why, why are we not going out there to see what's going on? It's because they were caught up in the routine of the prayer. And they were focused on the prayer itself instead of on the answer. Now, um, there, there's, I'm kind of old school worship, I guess. And Larnell Harris, sometime back, he had a song 
that kind of tells this story, and we're just going to listen to a small snippet of it and just kind of help get the, get the story in your mind here. So if you want to go ahead and play that part of that song. So, so the, the, the very group of people that were praying for Peter's release, they didn't believe it when it happened. Now, he, here's the important part that I, I don't want us to miss this in the story, okay? Their faith in the prayer was not a condition for God to answer the prayer. And now sometimes that might think, okay, so what's the big deal? If I'm in a routine, God's going to answer it anyway. Well, that's, that would be like us saying that we'll go on and sin so that grace can abound all the more, right? Yes, God may have answered, but they were missing out on the blessing. They were missing out on the blessing of what God was trying to show them as to what was right there on the other side of the door waiting for them. They got stuck in the prayer. They were being obedient, but they didn't have the faith. And I think we do that sometimes with our own prayer time. We, uh, we need to focus on God and what his results are and not just focus on the routine of the prayer. You know, when we don't take God seriously and we go through the routine, we lose focus. And remember what we said at the beginning. What happens when we lose focus? We end up someplace other than where we intended. So the, these are three areas that God was just kind of revealing to me that, that I particularly can really get caught up in the routine, and, and maybe some of you can relate, but so now the question is, what do we do about it? Now that we've recognized how easy it is to become complacent and to go through the motions, what do we do about that? And first of all, um, we need to focus on God and his word. You know, we need to be in the word and focus, make him the main focus of our life. You know, we've said it here many times, readers are leaders, and leaders are readers, you know, both ways. It's, uh, that's where we need to have our focus. Too often we fill our lives with stuff. You know, we're seeking pleasure. We're seeking comfort. You know, we find comfort in our schedule. We find comfort in popularity. You know, we, we even have comfort foods out there. We find comfort in a lot of things. But we can't let our comfort be in things. Psalm 119, verse 76 says, May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Our comfort is in God. So we can't let our routine get to the point to where we're finding comfort elsewhere. He's our focus. That's where we need to put our focus all the time. If you find yourself getting off the path and kind of losing focus for a while and getting into a routine, then, then don't lose heart because he is a gracious God. And we can go back to him time and time again. And we need to examine our faith because if you're looking at yourself and realizing that maybe everything that I'm basing my faith on has been a routine. You know, I go to church on Sunday mornings because I'm supposed to. I go to this church because I like the music. I like the people. I like the message. Everybody's nice. I feel welcome there. If that's your reason for doing things and that's what you're basing your faith on, then, then what Mike said two weeks ago, if that's what you're going through, then you don't know God. And you need to know him. You need to know him now. Because John 3.16, if you don't, they will perish, those that don't believe. 
the ramifications of going through the motions and of thinking we're doing the right things but not really putting our faith into action is found in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I think that's my last one there, Chad. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We can't think that what we're doing is on the right path. We got to know that we know that we know that our faith is grounded in Jesus Christ and that we are following what God wants. We can't do it for superficial reasons. We can't fall into the routine of being here because the world says that, hey, if I, if I want to classify myself as a Christian, then I need to go to church. And so I'm going to show up in a building and I'm going to make that a part of what it is that, that my belief Get away from me, you evildoers. And these are people who, in their mind, wanted to believe they were doing the right things. I don't want anybody to hear those words. And we can't let anybody else hear those words. So we got to share that gift that I was talking about earlier. We need to go out there and let others know, don't keep it inside. We need to let others know what it is that we believe. Because if we fall into the routine of getting our charge on Sunday morning, but then Monday through Saturday, we're just the same old person we've always been. We're off the path. So what do we do when we get off the path? We repent. We say, God, help me with my focus. Guide me back to the path. Show me where it is that you want me to be. Don't let me lose focus and end up somewhere other than where you intended. James McDonald, just this last week, I heard something that he said, and it was in a different context, but I think it fits here. That, that moment that we're talking about when we're off the path, that's the crisis moment. And that's when we need to fall on our knees and we need to repent and we need to get right with God again. But it's not as easy to just say, oh, wow, I really got into a lot of routines there and I'm not going down the path that I'm supposed to. Hey, I'm going to get back on the path and we're there. It's a process. It's a process, getting it back on the path. We're going to fall off that path again. And what James McDonald said was, when we fall out of the process, we have to return to the crisis. So when you recognize these things that I've been talking about, uh, about ways that God's revealing to me that we get in a routine and we fall off the process of staying on that path, then we return to the crisis. And we say, God, I repent of how I'm behaving. You know, I need your guidance. I need to get back on the path. And the great thing is, is that he doesn't keep track of how many times it's been. You, you can go back to him every day and say, God, I, I fell off that path again. I'm wandering away. I need my focus back. You know, and whether it's whether it is sin, you know, that's keeping us apart or it's just falling into the routine or whatever. You know, scripture tells us he throws our sin as far as the east is from the west. He, he's forgetful that way. You know, he doesn't remember. If we say, oh, God, you remember that sin that I was just praying to you about where I was falling off a thing? He's like, what sin? I love you. Well, you know, I mean, I was, I was going through that stuff before, and I was getting through all these routines, and I was kind of getting off the path. You know, you know that stuff that I, was, that I was doing so wrong? He's like, what stuff? I love you. You know, we, we can keep going back to him over and over and over. What I want to do for just a second is, is we're going to take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to show you if, there are, if there's anything in you that you're going through the motions with. An area where you're just being completely complacent, where you're going through the routine, and just, just pray to the Holy Spirit right now and ask him to reveal it to you. Lord, we know there are areas of our life that we take for granted. We take our walk with you for granted. We take our faith for granted, Lord. We We stand here now, Lord, and we repent. 
We ask your forgiveness. Show us where we're falling short, Lord. Show, show us where we need to fall back on our face at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm sorry, Lord. Please help me to get back on the right path. I know I've lost focus, but I don't want to end up somewhere other than where you intended for me to be. Lord, I just pray that you give us the courage and the wisdom to hear what you're saying and act on what you're telling us to do, even if it sounds radical and crazy on getting rid of the routine, Lord, just help us to listen. Help us to know where we're falling short and how to return to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, the last thing I want to mention here is uh, you've probably all seen an example where they talk about on a tombstone, you've got the date of birth and you've got the date when someone passes away. And the example that I've heard before is what did you do with the dash? Make the dash count. You know, the, the first date and the last date are just moments in time. Make the dash count. And that's great, but I want to take it a step further. Because when you're thinking of all of eternity, even the dash is just a moment in time. So ask yourself right now, what am I doing within the dash that's going to make a difference beyond that last date? Because we can't make it just words. We can't make it routine. We can't just go through the motions. Lives are at stake, and we don't want to perish. So trust your faith and have faith, and just remember we got to open the door. Amen.